Welcome to the Nine Moms Podcast. My name is Phineas, and this is my mama's podcast, and, and here she is. Hi, you guys, and welcome to another episode of the Nine Months Podcast. And today, I will be sharing my first birth story, my birth with my oldest son, Phineas, that took place in London in the United Kingdom in 2016. Now I've done this recording on my own and I'm actually, I did two recordings because I wasn't really sure because I don't have anyone interviewing me, but I'm going to share with you guys the first recording that I did only because it's the rawest one and it's the one that I just spoke out from my heart, not really knowing what it was going to turn out to be. And obviously I... I forgot a lot of things, as you do, and and I was thinking maybe I can make this a little bit better somehow, but actually it's really great as it is, and um, and I hope you guys will enjoy listening to it. I'm a little bit nervous putting out my own story this week somehow. I don't know why. Maybe I'm putting a little bit of pressure on myself to share something great. I don't know. <laughs> anyway... Um, and before we get into it, I've I've had a lot of you guys reach out to me recently saying, "Oh, I would really love to share my birth story, but I'm I'm not so sure because nothing special happened, you know." And I just want to say if you're sitting out there and you're thinking about wanting to share your birth story on the podcast, then everything and every birth is special. No matter how straightforward it was or, or not, every every birth is special and and should be shared and should be listened to. So so really, really, if you're sitting there at home thinking, oh, I would really like to do this, then just reach out to me and we will definitely make it happen. I am so lucky to have all of you guys that are listening and that are sending me comments and messages and and giving me feedback and and also all of you wonderful people out there that that want to share your stories with everyone else it is very helpful it is a very helpful thing to do and a very beautiful thing to share so thank you guys so much for listening and for sharing and um, I hope you enjoy today's story here's me <laughs> hi everyone Today, I am intending to tell you my own first birth story with my oldest boy, Phineas, who is now five years old. And the reason why I say try is because I've been considering for a while, after getting a lot of requests from you guys that I should tell my own, I've just been considering how to do it. Should I have someone interview me or... Should I just try to tell it straight out? And um, today I'm going to try to tell it straight out. And if uh, you hear this, I guess that it worked. (laughs) Um, So to start off, I just wanted to introduce myself first to you guys. Um, A lot of you that are listening know me personally, and there's plenty of you that I've never met as well. Um, I, I'm Lisa, obviously. I am, uh, I'm Swedish. 
I'm about to be 35 years old and I live in Prague in the Czech Republic with my husband, Trigvi. Trigvi's from New Zealand and with our two little ones, we have Phineas who just turned five and we have Avi who's going to be two years old in October. Today I will be sharing only the story with Phineas and maybe on a later occasion I will share Avi's birth story as well. Um, so we've been living here in, in Prague in the Czech Republic since 2017 and Phineas was born in 2016 um, in London. So to start... <laughs> This is a little bit strange, you guys, just talking into the mic. I hope I'll get used to it. Um, so maybe I'll take you all back a little bit. Um, I am a yoga teacher by trade, and I've done that for most of my adult life. And um, back in 2014, I was living in Manila in the Philippines, and I was teaching yoga there for a studio. And I was in a relationship um, that ended when I lived there and once that relationship ended I decided that I needed to to see some new things and to do some some new things after having been in a relationship and, and in a world where everything's similar I just needed to do something different so I um I went to to Bali uh I went for a trip and I went for a training that's a little bit out of my character, which included a lot of acrobatics and yoga and, and all these things. And I, um, during that training, um, which was in Ubud in Bali, I, we were teaching this um, class where we, where we had, um, it was kind of a graduation class. So we were just um, showing off our skills to get our certificate basically at the end of that training. And to my class, they were public classes, and to my class uh, showed up this very tall man um, from New Zealand. And I'm quite tall as well. And when you work with acro yoga and acrobatics and stuff, you kind of get paired out of size sometimes and this particular class we were paired in uh, size classes so I was paired with Trigvi <laughs> and um, yeah we just sort of had a nice class together and exchanged our I think a Facebook or something like that and then I ran into him after my training in the same yoga space um, and and we decided to go for a drink and, and we met for that one day. And then I took off the next morning to go traveling with my friend Edwina around Asia a little bit more. And me and Trigvi just continued talking and, and um, we were quite infatuated with each other. So we, um, we sort of kept on popping in and out of each other's lives. I moved to Ireland and he... He used to be an actor, so he would travel around with his shows. So he would just come sometimes to see me in Dublin and sometimes I would come see him in New Zealand or or in, in Scotland or wherever he was. And, and, um, and from there, we just, our lives just sort of blended and we decided to start um, traveling together and, and moving around together and be a couple all the time. So... So when Trigvi was going somewhere 
I would book a workshop in that city, in that country, and, and that's how we lived for for a year almost. And um, we just traveled around the world and, and had a really nice time doing so. Um, we didn't really think about having children or getting married or all of these things. It was quite far away for us. And and in the fall of 2015, we found ourselves in New Zealand. Trigvi was doing a show there. So we were in, we were there for maybe two, almost two, three months. It was quite long. So he did the show and then he decided, he decided, we decided <laughs> together. He wanted to show me the South Island of New Zealand because I'd never been. And we rented a car and we drove around and we had a really, really wonderful time looking around that beautiful part of the world that I never thought I would see <laughs> before I met Trigvi. Um, if anyone's uh, planning a trip post-COVID, I would definitely say go to, to New Zealand. It's beautiful. Um, but um, trying to make a long story short, we we were somewhere in the South Island and then we decided that after this we should move to London and we should just like try to have an apartment and and try to to settle a little bit. Trigby's agent was in London and or his producer was in London and he, he wanted to just be there and I thought, well, I can teach yoga in London, you know, anywhere else I can teach yoga, I could teach yoga there also. So we made this plan that we were going to go to London after New Zealand and then I came up with an idea that I really wanted to do another yoga teacher training in India before we actually settled in London. So I, from New Zealand, I booked to go to Goa and do my 500-hour teacher training in Ashtanga Yoga. And um, and Trigvi was going to go to London to sort of find a place for us to live so I could arrive to London after my training and we could just start our lives when we got to London. And... Um, and I took off to this training and I was just, I was fine for the first week or so. And then, and then I got really sick. I got this, for those of you guys that have traveled sometimes to India, I tend to every time I go to India, I'll get, I'll get a stomach bug at some point and have a couple of days on, in the bathroom and just throw up and, and all the other things that comes with that. And so I experienced that for a couple of days and then... And then it just didn't really go away. Like in the mornings I would feel, I'd feel really sick. I'd feel not like I wanted to throw up, but on the cusp of it all the time. And I just thought that it was this lingering bug that I had. <clears throat> and then we would do this really early morning practices from five or six in the morning. It would be two, three hours sometimes. And and I'd have to sit down and, and I couldn't really push myself so hard. And, and um yeah, it just kept going. It was okay. Some days were better, some days were worse. And then, um, and then, yeah, actually during that training, I was saying that to, to, uh, to a friend there and she was like, aren't you pregnant? And I was like, no, I'm not pregnant. What are you talking about? I remember that so clearly. Um, but I didn't even think about it. I did not even like consider that I could be pregnant at that point because it just wasn't in my world it wasn't in my plan or 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 anything like that so I just didn't think about it I didn't 
didn't go there. Um, and the last week of training, I hurt my back. So I had this <laughs> something going on with my lower back, which meant that I couldn't really stand up straight. And I was feeling really sick. And it was really awful to be me those last few days of that training. I was miserable, absolutely miserable. And I was like thinking that I had this parasite or something that was in my bloodstream and I couldn't do anything. So I I booked myself. I was going to fly back to London via Mumbai. And I've been to Mumbai quite a few times before. And um, sometimes when I, I've traveled a lot in Asia and sometimes... I'll just get myself a really nice hotel for a few nights before I go back to Europe. And there was this one place that I really thought that oh, I could just go there and get away from this sandy beach hut and just have air conditioning for a night or two before I go back to London. So, And that would also break up my trip home because I was not excited about doing a stopover long haul flight back to Europe while feeling super sick and having this back pain. So I... I booked myself this flight and Goa to Mumbai is like an hour and a half, maybe two hours. It's quite it's quite a short flight. Anyway, and I arrived to the airport in Goa and it was just mayhem. And normally I'm fine with with Indian mayhem, you know, like a lot of people waiting for trains and buses and, and whatnot. I'm not it doesn't bother me so much, but that day it was it was not nice. I was just feeling like I wanted to be all alone. I didn't need, I didn't want to smell anything or any people or <laughs> be around people I didn't know. And I was hungry, but I didn't know what I wanted to eat. And, and, and there were so many people and my flight wasn't on the, on the, on the monitor. And I was just miserable. And then I hopped on this flight and I had one of these like kids juice boxes to just like try to not throw up that whole ride. And I arrived to Mumbai and this hotel that I booked is like Mumbai's on a peninsula and this hotel is at the very tip. And then the the airport's like maybe an hour at least away from like the city center where I was going. And I get this taxi and traffic in India is like very... Mm, yeah, chaotic and and normally for me it's fine, but this day I was getting sicker and sicker in this taxi, and it w it went from me just trying to look at the road, and then I would lie down in the back, uh, and then to a point where I just had to tell this taxi driver I was like, stop the car, I'm about to throw up all over it, and so he stopped the car, and I opened the door, and there's a sidewalk with this intense amount of people everyone's just looking at me and I'm throwing up so much like my entire it felt like I was throwing up everything that was inside of me and and this poor taxi driver didn't know what to do and I was just couldn't do anything I was just like heaving at the at the end of the road and it was awful and um all these people just looking at me like this strange foreign lady throwing up out of a taxi um, really surreal. Um, and then I, I sort of crawl back into this taxi and I, and, uh, I just, he drives me to the hotel and I guess he, he speaks to the person who's like 
receiving me at the hotel. He's like, this lady is not feeling so well. You better take care of her. So they sort of usher me into my hotel room without checking me in. They're taking care of it for me and stuff. So that was nice. But they, I remember just entering this hotel room and just bursting into tears like there was no tomorrow. Like I was just so awfully sick and I felt so low. Like I was... I don't know. It was it was a terrible, just a terrible low feeling, <clears throat> and my back hurt. And, <laughs> and when I look back on it now, I don't. I realize what was going on, but I had no idea. And I I spent a night there, and maybe two nights, and then I went. I just sort of slept and tried to have a bath and ordered room service and and tried to just lie down and and nurse myself and I at that time I spoke to Trigvi back in London and he he organized a doctor's appointment for me for the day when I arrived back um and um I hopped on the plane home and it wasn't that bad it was okay I managed to have some like sugar so I had some some cake I think that I would like nibble at for that whole eight hour flight back and it was okay and then the same day then we we went to this doctor's office and because I hadn't lived in the UK before I wasn't privy to the NHS yet or I didn't know how to do it yet so Trigvi booked me this appointment at um, this private clinic and we walked in there and Trigvi went with me and I just remember it was this Irish doctor he had an Irish accent with his back slicked hair and he, he was wearing a suit with a um, purple tie, like a purple silk tie and the suit was too small. And it just felt like I was in a place where I didn't even know if he was a doctor. It felt like he was, I don't know, there was nothing in his office except this glass desk and he sat us down and I told him, I was like, I think I have a parasite, I don't feel well, um, help basically. And he went through everything and he just, he was like, okay, so here he wrote on a blank piece of paper, just handwriting going, here's a prescription for something for your parasites. And I don't think I was happy with that because I kept on pushing him, asking, but what, do you, you haven't even like taken my blood or anything. How do you know it's, I need this medication? And then he just said, well, maybe you're pregnant. And me and Trigby just looked at each other and I was like wow maybe I'm pregnant (laughs) and that's the first time it really hit me that I even considered it maybe I'm pregnant and then I was thinking does pregnancy do this to people to make them feel this really bad anyway um so we walk out of that office and we're a little bit awestruck both of us we're just going oh my god what if we're having a baby um so we go to the nearest pharmacy and pick up a pregnancy test. One of those, one of those ones that say pregnant or not pregnant. The ones that like a um, digital one. And we go back to our hotel in Shoreditch, and I take this test and I go out and I don't even dare looking at it. And I ask Trigvi to look at it, and he looks at it and then he just turns to me and he's just smiling. And in my head, I'm going, oh, great, I'm not pregnant. (laughs) Because it made me feel so panicky. Not that I wouldn't 
want to be pregnant, but it just made me feel so panicky thinking that I was in a new city and I would be pregnant. And then he shows it to me and he's like, you're pregnant. And I'm, I'm, and I don't even know what I was thinking. I was like, I don't know. We had a hug and I, I didn't panic like, like that. I didn't panic in a way where I freaked out or anything. I was just really, I think really silent. And we, we put our shoes on and we went out and we went to, we ordered a pizza and we ordered a beer. Um, and I didn't have that much of that beer, but I had a bit of that beer. Um, and then Trigvi just tells me, he just says, I'll support you in any way that you want, but I think this is great and I think we should have a baby, something like that. And just him saying that made me feel like it was the thing that we needed to do. We needed, we should have this baby. And and that's how we found out that we were having Phineas. <laughs> that was a long story. Um, yeah, so we had just arrived, like I said, to the city and Trigby had find, found us a little small apartment in Hoxton and um, we moved in a couple of days later, I think, and started started living in London, started settling in and and this was maybe November November 2015 and I I didn't really I think I called to see if if they could see me or if a doctor could see me and I figured out the NHS so I could get a doctor there but um to my surprise and to to many people's surprises I've learned after having a kid is that when you find out you're pregnant the doctor or the midwife or whoever you contact they don't always go um yeah yeah just come in now straight away they say well wait till 12 weeks and we'll see you then and that is a very difficult wait to just have your pregnancy even confirmed outside of your home pregnancy test or 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 confusing time for a new mom wondering aren't I supposed to receive care now you know tomorrow almost after I find out that I'm pregnant but that wasn't the case in in the UK they they booked me in for my first appointment after 12 weeks and so before that happened Trigby had um he had a tour in the Netherlands, so we, I was helping him doing some light or sound or something for his shows back then. So I came with, and this was December, and we did that, and then we flew to Sweden to have Christmas with my family. And I think it was about 11 weeks or so when it was Christmas, and we, we did a little thing during Christmas and we announced that we were going to have a baby and which was really neat because my parents and my family I don't think they ever thought that I was going to have a baby ever so they were very surprised and it was very nice to be able to tell them about about Phineas and then we arrived back into into London around New Year's and just after New Year's, we had our first appointment with the midwife. I think they call it a booking appointment. And in the UK, 
the care is led by midwives um, and you don't really see a doctor unless you have to. So they take care of you, the midwives take care of you through your pregnancy, through your birth and postpartum unless there's a complication or, or anything. And in this booking meeting, she, they didn't do a scan. They just asked me all the questions and they did a blood test to see if I actually was pregnant, which I was. And they just asked all these questions, all these background questions of um, family history and and asking also about where or how we were planning to give birth and up to that point I had just thought through looking at everything you know looking at um, seeing films and media and stuff you know there's just a lady and her waters break and then she's screaming and it's awful and and that's sort of what I knew which is ridiculous to think about now that my 29 year old self didn't know more about birth at that point but that's what I knew and I and I thought no no I just want all the drugs and then you can cut the baby out of me and I don't want to feel it or know it or do anything have anything to do with it basically and um but she presented three options that they have in the UK the first one is a hospital birth just a straightforward hospital birth hospital environment um and the second one is a birth center which is usually attached to a hospital in the UK so if you need anything it's just basically behind a couple of doors you'll be in the hospital and you'll get, if you need a cesarean, for example, if you need something emergency, you're just right there. But the birth center is a little bit more. They will have maybe birth pools or or different kinds of lighting and different kinds of uh, furniture maybe and and uh, support in, in, a, in a different way than the hospital setting would. Um... I don't think that you could have an epidural, for example, in the birth center. But if you wanted one, you would go to the hospital. So all the medical stuff you would have to transfer into the hospital for. And then there was also a pamphlet that she gave us about home birth. And home birth in the UK is very supported, um, I learned through that pregnancy. It's very, very encouraged that they believe or there's, <clears throat> there's evidence that it's safer to birth at home if you have a non non complicated pregnancy or not a, a non high risk pregnancy um so they really support people um birthing people into giving birth at home uh, as much as possible and um i should also say that it's also very connected with the hospitals so the hospitals are very supportive of the care that the women receive in a home birth so if there's ever anything wrong it's a very quick return like a very quick turn from going from <clears throat> your home birth uh, into a hospital should you need it um, so the system supports itself a little bit which was very reassuring for us a little bit later when we made our choice but I was not really into the idea of being in the hospital and then I wasn't really into the idea of being in being at home um but then Trigvi, Trigvi, he just said one day, he's like, uh, a home birth sounds really cool. 
it sounds like exactly what we want to do. And then I was not sure still. And um, I don't know what I was thinking about exactly, but I was just very unsure about it and, and just thinking what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And I was then I was quite set on the birth center, but you don't have to make your choice right then and there. So we had we had time. And we met my friend, Trigvis and my friend Amelia and her husband Nico. They just had a baby, I think, that he was about five months old or something, their little boy. And she she'd had a home birth in New York City. And and I think they had to pay that out of pocket. It's not supported by anything in, in the US, uh, maybe sometimes, but I don't think her insurance supported home birth. And they paid for it and they were like, it's all worth it. It was the best decision ever. You should totally do it. And then she gave me a copy of um, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. Um, and I read that um, on the tube as I was traveling around London. And and the more I read these stories of birth, natural birth and how women are mostly just wanting to find a safe space um, to give birth in, the more I just realized that I, maybe I needed just that. There was this one little bit in that book where where she writes about women going like animals, you know, animals giving birth, they they hide away in a dark and safe place where there's no bright lights and there's not a bunch of people they don't know and, you know, or other animals they don't know. And, and they birth in this safe, dark place. And then I thought about that. And I'm not a very, <clears throat> I'm not a very, um, I'm quite introvert, believe it. Or not or maybe maybe people can believe that I don't know <laughs> but I don't really like to talk about my feelings and I always try to put up a strong front and like and then um, keep a lot of things to myself and I and I thought about that going well if I can be home I don't have to deal with bright lights and a bunch of like um, you know people that I don't know even if it's just midwives or Maybe there'll be a male doctor. I don't I don't really feel like I want that in my birth space, honestly. So I was thinking to be able to do this on my terms, perhaps I need to be at home with Trigvi. And that's sort of where our birth plan or birth wish started to to form. Um, we were both always very open to the fact that Things can go one way and things can go the other way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly as we planned. So so we thought about all the things. We went to the birth classes at the hospital. We, we went to, we were part of this Hackney, Hackney home birth um, team. They actually had their office just around the corner from our house. And they had these weekly meetups where you could go hear home birth stories and most of these home birth stories or like half of them were actually at home and half of them included a hospital transfer and and we just got really used to hearing stories of everything and and understanding that this can go one way or the other and we were totally cool with that 
um, we'll try to do this at home because it would be really great. But also if it doesn't work, it doesn't work and we're not dead set on it. Um, yeah, so we, that's how our birth plan formed. Um, and we, we switched, I did a couple of visits to the, um, to the midwife in the, uh, in the GP's office, um, in the beginning to listen, they listened to the heartbeat, I think the first time that was really cool. I was alone. So Trigby didn't hear to get to hear it. He was away somewhere. And and then after that, we decided, okay, let's switch to the home birth team. And when we did that, they actually came to our house for the visits, for the measurements and everything. And that was really great. I just got to be at home and and they would arrive and <clears throat> take the measurements and take my blood. And I would pee on a stick to, I don't know what they checked. It was the protein and everything. And, and, and that was great. Um, the first scan that we did was at 20 weeks and I think that's the first standard scan that they do in the UK maybe there is one before then if you want it something like that um, but I think the first one we did was at 20 weeks and no maybe I'm remembering it wrong sorry guys I, I think maybe we had a scan at 14 weeks or something like that it was supposed maybe it was supposed to be that 12 weeks but we had it at 14 yes now I remember they ask you if you want to do it if you want to do the testing the non-invasive testing for checking for markers for any chromosomal um, things like down syndrome or trisomy 13 or anything and we so we opted to do that I took the blood test and then they they scanned the baby so and looked at the the fluid around the neck and everything and and I came out with one chance in like, I don't know, 100,000 or something to have something wrong. So we didn't choose to go any further with that. But that was the first scan. But the second scan at 20 weeks is when we found out that we were having a boy. And I think I remember that one better because it was really, it was quite special. I mean, of course, special, but um, it's the word I'm looking for, like that's when I realized that there was a baby in there. I know that my belly had been growing, but at 20 weeks, there was just this like really formed baby in there with a nose and fingers. And and it was really, really cool to see that. <laughs> he, they couldn't really see everything because he was, I think he was sleeping or something. And they sent us off to eat something with sugar and drink a coffee and jump around a bit. And then we came back in so he would move. And so she was quite pre preoccupied with, with looking at the baby and finding all the measurements she needed. And then we walked out and, and she was like, oh, you wanted to find out the sex, right? And we were like, yes, please. And... And uh, she was like, oh, yeah, it's a boy. OK, bye. And then we walked out and we were like, uh, hold on. Aren't you supposed to be like, it's a boy? <laughs> but no. Um, so we were quite shocked about that. But also, I think we both of us sort of knew it was a boy already. But it was nice to have it confirmed somehow. I don't know. Anyway, that's how we found out that Phineas was going to be a boy. Um, and 
what else for my pregnancy? I so I was vegan. I'm still still semi vegan. I'll have a I'll have some dairy sometimes these days, but I'm I'm quite vegan in my lifestyle and uh, during my pregnancy and postpartum and a few years after Phineas was born, I was uh, strictly vegan and I did not have anything else at all. And I, my measurements were, were great and my bloods were great. I just had to take, I took some Floridix because my iron level was a little bit on the lower side, but it had nothing to do with my veganism. I've had low iron since I was little. When I was um, very little, I had to have some iron pills and stuff like that for for a couple of years so that's something I've had throughout my life anyway but I just took Floridix and my and my prenatal vitamins uh, throughout the pregnancy I uh, I started working in a lot of yoga studios in London and that was quite difficult for me because I couldn't really tell people that I was pregnant I couldn't really, at least in the beginning, I felt like saying that in the beginning would not give me a job, which is quite an awful thought to be having. Um, but I, I met some wonderful people and and I got to, to teach for a lot of wonderful places and um, and received a lot of support also from from a lot of these studios and, and places I was teaching. And the clients that I had, I'm really grateful for having had the opportunity to teach yoga in 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 such a big city and um, with so many different kinds of people and teachers and and it's it's quite incredible. <clears throat> and they were all all very supportive of my journey to becoming a parent, so that was wonderful. Um, I do remember though, I realized like. I think I was four and a half, five months pregnant. I was barely showing. I'm quite a tall person, so I don't really show very early in my pregnancies, I would say. It's quite easy to hide for a while. And I was just thinking that if I'm going to have a baby, I'm not going to teach yoga classes and run around and get back to work. And there wasn't any significant maternity leave in the UK either, um, and, and I was looking at non-paid maternity leave, so I would have to get back to work somehow. And, and I was just thinking about all these things. And then, and then I was like, okay, maybe I need to apply for a job, <clears throat> like a normal person's job. <laughs> so I, I did, and I went to some interviews to, to be in a shop and, and this and that. And then I, I applied it as a, receptionist slash manager for a really big yoga studio in London and um and it was quite a cool job because I I know the ins and outs of a studio and I knew I had a lot of experience and and a lot of um like excitement to maybe be able to do the job that I liked without having to actually teach people because it's quite demanding on your body um especially if you're pregnant or if you're postpartum so I was quite excited about maybe that happening and and I had three rounds of interviews and it was down to I think me and this other man and 
in that interview, the third round, I decided to tell them that I I am pregnant um, because I felt like it was unfair of me to get this job and then going on leave. But I said also, you know, in the UK, people have, I don't know if it was like 26 weeks or 18. No, not 26 weeks, 26 days, six weeks. I don't know, three months, very little maternity leave compared to Sweden anyway. And I was thinking then, okay, maybe I'll just be away for that time and then I can come back to work if I get this job. So with with that, I told the interviewer lady that I was pregnant. And then the whole the whole room just shifted. It was like I I insulted her or something. And then I sort of knew straight away that I wasn't going to get it. And then a couple of days later, I got an email saying that I was overqualified for this job. And I understand that it's really hard to hire someone who's about to go on maternity leave. I understand that. I hire people at the moment in my current career. But it's also so awful as a as an expecting mother or parent to get dismissed because you're having a baby. I mean, I I can see both sides that it's not easy because you know you're going to be missing this person that you need to do this job that you're hiring them for for a while. But it is, I don't know, I'm just really lucky that I have my husband, that he that he would be able to support me. I'm I I keep thinking about what if I was a single parent and not having work and looking for work and I was um pregnant and and nobody wanted to give me a job because I was pregnant that I just keep thinking about that um as I got rejected for for that job and try to try my best these days to keep those things in mind as I employ people also I guess that's a big side note side note but um interesting and um interesting to feel as an adult I've been taking care of myself since teenagehood I've had a job and taking care of myself but feeling like I couldn't because I I couldn't manage to get work because of my condition um yeah and then what happened then (laughs) I yeah, lots of things. Like I, I had quite a normal, straightforward pregnancy. I did a lot of yoga practice. I did a lot of physical stuff. I did do handstands and everything. I felt really nice doing big back bends. And a lot of the times, a lot of people would maybe frown upon that a little bit. And I would never, as a teacher, tell someone new that you should be doing all these things. But I knew my body and I knew what it needed and I knew what felt good and what didn't feel good and 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 as having that as my job um I would I knew where my limits were um and that was it was really nice actually to be able to have a really strong practice before giving birth because it made it easier to to come back to my strength after having given birth afterwards so I did yoga and I did 
a lot of walking. I walked a lot. London is huge, but I would sometimes just skip um, going on the tube or on the bus to just have a really big walk with my headphones on and walk to my next appointment and my next class that I was teaching. And, and that was great and gave me a lot of <laughs> a lot of sightseeing in London, but also a lot of um, strength <clears throat> walking around. I, um, what was I going to say? It's funny when nobody asks you the questions. You have to just think about it all yourself. <laughs> I, oh uh, yeah, I found um, this podcast called The Birth Hour, uh, which I guess is a little bit the inspiration for this podcast that I'm creating now. It's also a birth story podcast and I started listening to it religiously. I would just devour all of these birth stories from people all over the place and and all these different kinds of births um home births and and c-sections and emergencies and premature births and everything and they were all beautiful and all full of knowledge that I didn't have and that I was craving and listening to all these stories really just made me feel empowered in my choices and empowered in in the way that I was going to birth my baby. So that's all. Like I just listened to <laughs> listened to these stories as I walked around London and and it was very, very good for me. Um and towards the end of the pregnancy, <clears throat> it was Phineas is born on July eleventh which is a day before his due date. So I was due July 12th. I stopped working about a week before then. So just beginning of July, I had my last few classes and we decided to to go to, where did we go? We went to Dorset. Yeah, we went to Dorset. We went to Bridport, which is a place where uh, Trigvi's cousin Nikki lives and we went to visit her she has a beautiful theater down there uh called the lyric if you're in Dorset you should go check it out (laughs) and um we stayed with her and just took a little vacation out of out of London for a moment and this was yeah in my 39th week maybe it was like 39 plus two when we went there and it was nice to just be with Trigvi and not having to worry about anything and and we spent a day, walked around on the beach and had a really nice time and then at night we went to bed around midnight and uh, I laid there and usually Phineas would move and kick around at that point. He would make a lot of movement at bedtime but it was just silent and no kicking and no nothing and I started to like trying to will him with my brain to to move so I could fall asleep because I didn't want to fall asleep if he didn't move and then he didn't and I and I told Trigvi I was like the baby's not moving and so we called we ended up calling the maternity hospital there and um maybe the town over I don't remember the name of that town but they said okay you should come in so we came in and on the way there, I think Phineas kicked a couple of times, but we still went and they put the monitor on my belly and and she was like, baby's fine, he's kicking a lot. We sat there for maybe an hour and he kicked a lot and 
And then she told me, were you having a lot of contractions? Can you feel them? And I was like, no. <laughs> but she could see and I could see and Trigby could see on the monitors that this, the, that there were contractions happening. And, and then she said, oh, maybe we're going to have a little Dorset baby. <laughs> and uh, me and Trigby were a little bit stunned by that. And we just went, oh, maybe. And then we, and then we, um, we got to go home from the from the hospital and we went back to Nikki's place and had a sleep and nothing else really happened but we were sort of our brains turned a little bit on at that time and uh we went back to London and he Trigby had booked to film a commercial which was one full day job but he was bound to be there all day we talked or he talked to the to the people employing him and and uh, they were really understanding that we were having a baby but they said if we're going into this filming you have to be there all day we can't really let you go even if Lisa's having a baby like it would be really difficult because it's there's a lot of people and a lot of money and a lot of things happening in this one day and we were both like okay let's just do it you can do it I'm not gonna have the baby and then Trigby went in and I think this was the Thursday, maybe, or the Friday, which I would have been maybe 39 plus three or four, maybe just after we got back from Dorset. And and uh, I just spent that whole day, I was like lying down, watching movies, <laughs> just not doing anything. I didn't want the baby to come, which is so silly to think about in hindsight, because of course the baby's not going to come when you're the most stressed that, you know, it'll... The babies know. Babies know these things. <laughs> so he made it back and and um, it was like Friday or Saturday. Yeah, maybe Saturday. And we started to relax and then and then I was like, okay, the baby when when's the baby gonna come? And then we started thinking like, oh, it might be another two weeks actually. Because it's only almost 40 weeks. It's not like this due date means anything anyway. So on that Sunday, I remember I just let everything go on the Saturday night. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to care. Baby's going to come at 42 weeks. Whatever. Um, Let's just focus on something else because this is ridiculous. You can't walk around thinking about the baby coming every minute because that drives you nuts. So we had a sleep in. I slept till 9am, which by the way is the last time that I slept till 9am I think since I've had children. So I think of that morning fondly. <laughs> and we we had breakfast in bed and then Trigvi started I think googling what should we do today? Let's have an adventure today and he found that there was a Robert Lepage show at the Barbican. And Trigby's a big fan. So we booked, he booked a couple of tickets for this show. It's called Needles and Opium. And we, we went early. We walked down to our favorite Vietnamese place on Shoreditch High Street. And we just had some Vietnamese food and then walked to the barbican. And, and just like had a really nice and slow, wonderful Sunday. And this show started in the afternoon around three, maybe, or something like that. And we, he walked in and we sat down and 
maybe half an hour in, I just feel this little, just a little like tiny pop in my lower belly, like a little one. And then as I sort of like engaged my my muscles, my belly muscles, I could just feel that there was like liquid coming out. Very little, like a little little squirt or whatever. And I sit there and I think about it. And I'm like, is this my water's breaking? And then I like, I would engage my belly again and more would come out and I'd be like, wait, hold on. This is my water's breaking. I think, and then I turn to Trigvi and I whisper, and I'm like, hey, Trigvi, I think my water's just broke. And he doesn't do anything. He just goes, mm-hmm. And then he keeps wa- watching the show. And then I'm like, okay, maybe I should just also keep watching the show so I can watching the show. <laughs> I think he was a bit in shock or something. And then after a little bit, I turned to him again. I'm like, should we, should we just go outside for a bit? <laughs> And he says, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And anyone who's been to the Barbican, you know that there's every row in this theater space has side door entrances. So you walk all the way past everyone sitting on your side and out the side entrance. And as you open that door, everybody knows, everybody in the entire theater, including the actors, knows that you've opened this door because it's light outside. So it's not very sneaky. Yet we get up and... All I can think about is, I hope I don't spill my amniotic fluid on all these people that I have to climb over their legs to get out of this row. Uh, I don't think I did. I think I managed pretty well. But as we walk out and we close that door behind us, I sort of relax and we look at each other and we start giggling. And as we do that, all of this water starts pouring down my legs into my Converse shoes. And I think I was wearing like stockings, you know, and it just kept pouring and pouring and and we just giggle and I go to the bathroom and I sit there for a while and I just there's just so much water coming out of me and I stuff my underpants with all this toilet paper and and we go out and we're looking at each other wondering what to do and I think neither of us really wanted to go back into the show so we called an uber and took an uber home and which wasn't so far it was just like a 10 minute ride and we took this Uber and we we end up at home and as we come home I sit in the bathroom for a while. It's maybe it's four thirty at this point. I have no contractions at this point. We call the midwife just to say that it's broken and there you know, you learn all these things at your first birth and your first um labor is gonna be twenty four hours, if not more. So we're all thinking that we're in it for the long run. And I, and I, we call them and they say, yeah, yeah, you can call us back later if it picks up, if there's contractions. And, and then Trigby says, okay, so he's, he's been very prepared. He did all the birth classes, some of the birth classes he did without me because I was working. So he's very prepared to be supportive and, and he decides he's going to go to the to the market and get fruit and vegetables and he's going to cook dinner and he's going to prepare snacks and clean the house and you know just take our time to to do everything and and he sets up my computer so I can watch a movie and I remember turning on this uh, Maleficent I think it's called in English this one with Angelina Jolie which had just come out at the time and I I turned it on on Netflix 
and I just start watching it and then I start feeling these tightenings like like um like uh cramps from your period and they get stronger pretty quickly and I think I watched about two minutes of that uh of that movie and as Trigvi's leaves I just start having contractions and and in that in that time I think I heard a birth story where somebody downloaded a contraction app because you're supposed to go to the hospital or call the midwife if it's one or four one one or something four minutes in between one minute long um contraction something like that and I was like okay let me time these because they're very close together and from the start I had two minutes uh in between and then one minute contraction if not longer and in the beginning of course they were they were manageable but they were coming on pretty strong then Trigvi comes home maybe an hour later half an hour I don't don't even know the timing is very blurry but he comes back and he draws me a bath and he um he puts some candles up and he tries to feed me papaya and then I throw it up I threw up a lot in this labor and I remember just being in the bath tub just floating on my back in between contractions and when the contraction would come I would just stand up on all fours and just sort of moan my way through that contraction and it would just continue like this for a few hours and around 10 I think around 10 p.m something like that I asked Trigvi to call the midwife again and He's telling them that I have this long in between my contractions and everything. And they say, oh, yeah, we're going to give it a few more hours. It's going to be a little while longer. And at that point, I'm not thinking really that it's going to be how long it's going to be more so than going. I'm in it for the long run. So I'm trying to cope. I'm trying to to figure out or not figure out. I'm trying to just be there with these contractions because I, if I start thinking about that it's not, I'm going to be in this state for another 20 hours, I would probably not have coped very well. So, so I get out of the bath and I go to the side of our bed and I'm on the bed and I'm off the bed. I'm on the side of the bed, on the floor. And the more these contractions keep coming, the more I start feeling like pushy almost like I want to push and and then like like my body's just doing it and then I tell Trigvi I feel like I want to push and then Trigvi sends because we were a little bit scared of calling again because it was very shortly after the first time we were scared uh, that they would be rolling their eyes at us going like just stay home you know the baby's not coming yet so he just sends a little sneaky text and he says oh she thinks she wants to push and then straight away they call Trigby and they're there. I think she could hear it the way that I was doing going through the contractions. I think she listened in on a contraction and she said, yep, we'll be there soon. Would you like to have gas and air? Should we go to the hospital and pick it up? And I said, yes, do that, please. And then I think it took them an extra little while to come. It took them maybe 45 minutes to come. And Trigvis told me this afterwards that he went outside to meet them and to bring them in because we had quite a few doors to go through to get to our apartment. And 
we had we were on the first floor and the windows were open and as they passed our window the midwife stopped and she was like is that her asking Trigvi and he said yes ah yeah I think we're gonna have a baby soon or something like that because so she could hear on me that that I was very close so they come in to the apartment it's two ladies and I don't remember I don't remember their names I should look this up because they were lovely both of them and um they just walk in with their things put their things down and they're asking how I am and then it's so strange how in between contractions you're just like a normal person and then you have a contraction and you're just like not there anymore (laughs) and she says let me check you to see where you're at and she checks me and I'm fully dilated and she's like oh okay we can start can start pushing and they I think I stopped pushing on my back or maybe I start pushing in a squat or something I don't remember exactly but it was a few a few pushes and then the one of the midwives says no, no you can't scream or make noise like try to internalize it and push down into your into your bum she says and I and I try to do that and and stuff is happening and and um and in between contractions in between pushes they listen in to Phineas's heart rate and it's going down like normally baby's heart rate go down but it should be picking up again straight away and his was picking up but not quick enough so because they have such a good relationship with the hospitals they said and since we were in London also um, they said let's call an ambulance now and uh, if we need help it'll be there when we need it so they called an ambulance and um, and then I keep pushing on my back and then she said you have to get this baby out before the ambulance comes otherwise we're going to go to the hospital um just to be closely monitored there I think better and uh I I got determined I was like I'm gonna push this baby out I'm not going to the hospital this is bullshit sorry for the swearing but I'm I'm just gonna do this so I I squat down and I hold on to Trigvi and I push for my dear life and first like with my bum towards the midwife and then I turn around and and I just remember I think his head came and then she said and one more time and then I pushed and I just remember this just how like he just he just slid out of me like and my push became this like grunting noise like like this deep um primal I don't know what I can still remember how it felt to make that noise how it felt when he came out and then there he was and and uh and they picked him up they got him and started rubbing him a little bit and I was like baby are you okay and (laughs) because he didn't make any noise his eyes were open but they kept rubbing him and and then put him up on my chest. I think someone ripped my t-shirt off and put him up on my chest. And and then and then there he was. And he made some noise. And he was he was fine. And and it was it was really cool. And we just sat there 
Trigvi was behind me and I just sat there on the floor in this puddle of blood <laughs> with this cord still attached and just held on to this beautiful little boy and I I was still I think in in shock that he this was the baby that had been inside all that time and and I couldn't really comprehend at that moment that I had a baby even though I was holding him and he wasn't straight in front of me and yeah and then we moved up to the bed and and um I think they they let the cord pulse for a while decided to cut the cord pretty quickly after that because they wanted to check out the baby or check out Phineas um and um and also the placenta wasn't coming out so I was sort of just done at that time I was because I was thinking that I didn't want any shots to help the placenta come out I just wanted to wait for it but then at that point I was like just give me the shot so I can get on with my life I I don't need to do this any longer and I want to say also that he was born at 1 1.28 in the morning of July 11th so the labor I guess it started around the waters broke around 3.30 or 4 and then I had contractions from maybe like 5.30 or 6 so it wasn't super long for a first birth um and yeah then she gave me the shot and then I I think anyone who's going through birth the first time you can't really you don't really realize that when the baby's out and you're like oh everything's great I feel feel much better no more contractions and then it starts again when the placenta's gonna come out and it's just so awful it's just a reminder that it's not over and but then the placenta came out and it was intact and uh and it was really cool to look at it it just looks like a tree I think placentas are real cool um we put it on ice and then the next morning uh, we had hired this lady to come pick it up and make it into little placenta pills and she made a little placenta print for, for Phineas and a little, a little I think, a dried cord heart. I think we still have that. It's really cool. And um, I ate those pills for, for three months after he was born. Um, yeah, and then, and then he... He was there and we were parents and and it was really cool. Trigvi, Trigvi always talks about that first few days, those first few days with the baby, how soft their skin is and how how new they are, how how incredible it is to just hold and touch a newborn human. And uh yeah, we were just in, in awe with him. We, we just, yeah, we were just complete with the three of us. And um, I must say, though, it, it took me maybe three, four days to look at him. Like, I felt really protective over him. I felt like I was his mother and, and it was incredible to be with him. But maybe it took me three, four days to realize that I loved this baby I loved him and maybe it was just a shock of having having been through labor and birth and and going through that shift from a 
from one woman to a woman with a child that just needed to register in my brain first before I could realize that I really loved him and um but I did and he he was perfect he had these little feet that that flexed all the way up to his knees like his toes could touch his knees I think he was just really really squished in there under my ribs and um yeah he was great we we spent his first five weeks in London and then we went to Sweden for a bit and then we started Phineas's um <laughs> Phineas's tour of the world we went on tour with a baby he was yeah two months old we started going around Europe and then he was three months we left into Japan and then to Australia and New Zealand and China and um, Phineas saw a lot of the world in his first year of life and when he was about nine months or so that's when we moved to Prague and we've been here ever since. What else should I share guys? <laughs> I think I've probably forgotten a lot of things. I'll listen to this and I'll be I'll be thinking that I forgot this and this and that but I guess that was Phineas's birth. It was nice to speak it out. I would definitely recommend reading Ina May Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. It really shifted my perspective of birth. I'd recommend listening to more birth stories um, and telling yours to your friends. And, um, and uh, also another thing that I think would be, if I were to ever have another baby... Um, I would ask for help I think after uh, before and after but mostly after postpartum for me is not is not easy I don't know if it's if I've ever had postpartum depression maybe it would be it would have been classified like that but I really struggled in myself to find my place as a mom and also keeping Lisa and and the sleepless nights neither of my children are good at sleeping or were good at sleeping as as little and it almost it drove me completely felt I felt insane a few times a few nights where I just had a few blocks of 30 minutes of sleep in between feedings I wouldn't I would feel like I was on the cusp of <laughs> of something bad but but I would say that you know, I live, I live, I've always lived in countries where my parents aren't close or my family isn't close, but there's always other people around. There's always friends and, and I would ask for help. I would ask, I would ask for what I needed. And, um, and my last tip for you guys would be that if you, if you have a friend that's going through pregnancy and having a baby, don't buy them um, another piece of clothing or a cute pair of shoes. That's really nice. It's nice to get those things. Do that. But also call them and ask them how they're doing. Not how their baby's doing, but call, call them and ask them, how are, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? And if they say no, then just show up and bring them dinner and put in their freezer. Or show up and do a bunch of laundry and clean up their house 
or show up and hold the baby and tell them to go have a nap. Um, anything, anything like that. I wish, I wish I would have asked for more in my postpartum, for sure. Um, yeah, so that's my story. That's mine and Phineas and Trigby's, Trigby's story. I, I really hope I didn't forget anything. And I guess if you guys have any questions, just reach out and, and ask me and, um, and I hope I can share Abby's birth at some point also be in the future. Um, yeah, thank you guys for making it this far and listening to this whole thing. And, uh, and I think I got comfortable sitting here in my empty house, just talking to myself in this microphone. I should do it more often. <laughs> thank you guys for tuning in and, um, we'll see you again next week.